0: Good morning. good morning. My name is Brandon, like Toby said. I'm a pastoral resident here at Renewal Church. Uh, and if you are not familiar with that program, what that means is I'm pretty good at making coffee, so they decided to keep me around, right? No, just kidding. It's, it is a phenomenal opportunity uh, to be a part of the Renewal Leadership Institute. Uh, it is a great leadership development program. What the pastors here do is they go around gathering up strays uh, who feel like they've been called to ministry, giving them a safe place to learn and experience the local church, a healthy local church, and to train them to go and serve uh, churches in the future through planting or church revitalization. Um, <clears throat> if it doesn't, I think this should be, uh, it should revitalize, revolutionize the way that we train pastors. Um, so Enough advertising. Uh, if you are interested in that, please talk to Matt. Uh, he's easy to find. If you email him, it's Matt at RenewalChurch.cc. Um, I want to open with a story about the love of God. Okay, uh, it's kind of light, but it is—it is, it is um, just a way that I have experienced just the bullseye of God's love on my back uh, this week. So, uh, on Friday. Had a little time off during the day, so Carla, my wife, and I um, (coughs) joined her mom, brought little baby Charlotte along. We went to Wade's in Spartanburg for lunch. All right, so I'm driving, and we're talking, and right now, Becky, Carla's mom's placeholder grandma name, since Charlotte's only three months old, she hasn't picked one yet, is Hickey-Doo. Right? (laughs) Hickey-do. So she says, no, this can't be, we can't keep this, we can't say hickey-do. So she put out a petition to the Facebook nation and said, what do you guys think? What should I be called? A lot of them told her the truth. They said, it doesn't matter what you think you should be called. Whatever she says is what you're going to be called for the rest of your life, right? But some said BB, some said Kiki, some said a bunch of other kind of silly grandma, baby names, right? Um, So as she's kind of playing with Charlotte and asking her what she should be called, Charlotte just started giggling, right? It's the first time that I've ever heard my baby laugh, and it wasn't just like a little giggle, it was like baby cackling, like squeaks and gasps and all this stuff. And I almost wrecked the car. Um, and, and it is, you know, lightly, but if, if a dad safely making it to Wade's in spite of great distraction and getting to hear his firstborn daughter's first laughs is not a uh, picture of the love of God, man, I don't know what is, right? There's just clues us in right away that God is good and kind and he loves. So I'm excited. Last time I got to speak, I talked about love, so I'm excited to do that again. Um, I keep getting t-balls when I preach because I've got nothing but good news to tell you today, right? There's no hard things here. It's not heavy. It may be in some places, but there, the answer, the good news is always that God's steadfast love endures forever. So my goal this morning is not really to teach you anything new, although that may happen, um, but it is, either to, uh, <clears throat> it is either to help you to once again cherish something that might be old news to you, or to fuel the fire in your heart that you would continue to be warm towards God's. Um, so it could be like today that we are reconnecting with an old friend, maybe a college roommate you haven't seen in a while, Um, maybe you've forgotten more about the friendship than you remember, but upon your reunion, a little conversation, you come to appreciate and remember the experiences you've shared, the friendship that you had, and it rekindles their value to you. And there's warmth and happiness to be had in that. So if the love of God, you've heard it a lot, right, if you grew up in the south in the church, You grew up singing Jesus Loves Me, and you said it over and over again, and you heard it again and again until it sometimes could almost become dull. It doesn't doesn't mean anything anymore. It's like a word that you say too many times, and all of a sudden it starts to feel like, is this really even a word, right? Um, But God's love, I'm here to tell you this morning, is stronger stuff even than this relationship renewed, a good thing with a friend, because the good personal relationships we have are just a shadow of what there is for us in God who abounds in steadfast love. Um, If you guys want to look in the scriptures in Psalm 145 where we've been all summer and we'll read uh, 4 through 9. We're going to hang out with uh, the phrase steadfast love in verse 8. and his mercy is over all that he has made. So the first time that we get to see that God reveals himself in this way is if we go way back to Moses, who's asking God, hey, I want to see you, I want to know who you are. So God says, okay, I'll show you, right? And in Exodus 34, which I think may be on the screen, he says, as the Lord passed before him, he proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving, the iniquity of the father, or forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And what did Moses do in response to this revelation of God, that God is abounding in steadfast love, that that's who he is? He quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. So that's, I hope, the pattern that we're going to follow today as we look through uh, and study God's steadfast love that it would move us to worship. Like Stephen led us as we were saying that it would lead us to hope in his steadfast love. So the word that the Old Testament uses in the ESV, uh, the ESV translated as steadfast love, we see over and over again as hesed. Uh, Hesed is a central concept in Old Testament theology, runs through uh, the whole, uh, really the whole of Revelation through the scriptures. Um, <clears throat> there's not really a great direct translation of Hasid into English. And sometimes I think steadfast really doesn't have the ring to it that uh, our modern ears would hear. Um, so what we're going to use today when we talk about hesed is covenant love. Covenant love. So we need to spend a little bit of time kind of exploring what is a covenant, what is love, and we're going to put those two together to dig into Hesed. okay? Uh, so we're going to start out with love, because love is uh, the, the main theme here. It's the good news, right? First John 4, 8 tells us, God is love, right? So it's very simple. We know that is the full character. That's who God is, that he loves. But it's generally a pretty fluid concept in our culture, right? Right? Um, I didn't want to spend a lot of time with kind of the, the hashing out silly examples like, man, I love pizza, I love my wife. Is that the same? Right? We all know those kind of things. It's not really the same. So words have meanings. So let's give this idea of biblical, of God's love a meaning. Okay? We need to uh, be careful. There's often an error, a mistake that people make that they think, okay, so God is love, therefore nothing bad should ever happen to me. Everything should always be comfortable, right? If God really loved, there would be no sick kids. There would be no sin in the world. That's what love looks like, right? we can already look back to Exodus 34 as God reveals himself and he says, no, that's not the case. I do love and I love thousands and I keep them in my steadfast love, but I still judge sin, right? So we see all the way through the scriptures that God is love, but God is still just and God does still work. This also assumes that I'm the most important thing in the universe, that ultimately my happiness and comfort is more important than God's plan for how things are to be. Um, and we know that that is a fallacy, okay? Um, <clears throat> now we can see really the marvelous thing, the, the exciting thing about God's love is that the most important person in the universe, who's not me, it's God, is personally interested in me and loving You and loving us. Um, One of the ways, or he does not love, he does not love people because he needs to be loved back. He doesn't do it because he's lacking in anything, although the result of God's loving us is our loving him. But it is the natural outpouring of his infinite goodness. So Packer says it this way, some of you may have read this chapter about God's love uh, over the summer so far and knowing God. He says, God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners, whereby having identified himself with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior and now brings them to know him in a covenant relation or relationship. And so we can see that like Matt preached several weeks ago, uh, that God is good, and he always does good all the time, and that his practical outworking of all of that good is his love, and that love leads us, or leads him, not just to kind of have the, the southern idea of God loves you from a distance, but God likes you and is personally interested in your good, so interested that he sent his son to exchange his righteousness for your sin so that you could have life. Um, And this is really, really, really good news uh, because this is our only hope and it's our surest hope because God is unchanging. There's really no risk to this. God doesn't say, "Ah, I love you today. I don't love you so much tomorrow. I love you right now, but if you sin, I don't really love you anymore. That's not the way God operates. There's no shadow. There's no wavering. There's no change in him. There is nothing so sure for the believer as the love of God and there is nothing so inviting for the unbeliever as his love. Also from Packer, just to illustrate that, get the SAT vocabulary hat out for this one, right? The love of God is no fitful, fluctuating thing. It doesn't change, as human love is. Nor is it a mere impotent or powerless longing for things that may never be. It is rather a spontaneous determination. God chose of his own volition here. He he did it because he wanted to. If God's whole being in an attitude of benevolence and benefaction, that he cares for you and wants your good. It's an attitude freely chosen and firmly fixed. There was no merit that we did, nothing that we did to leverage anything on God. God chose freely to love, and it is firmly fixed in who he is. There are no inconstancies, here's the, the SAT word, vicissitudes, which is changes in fortune, often for the worse, in the love of Almighty God. So believers get to see and experience the never-ending love of God through the saving work of God's Son on the cross, which leads us into covenant relationship with Him. Right? So let's, let's take a little bit here. Now we've got an idea of love. Right. Let's move into the idea of covenant. Okay? So what is a covenant? <clears throat> uh, in the definition that we just said, we can see that covenant has something to do with relationship. Right? When we think of covenant, uh, it may be easier to think of promise or guarantee of some sort, some kind of a contractual agreement between parties. Um, God promises, we can see in Genesis 12, to Abraham. So if we go way back, the beginning of um, covenant for us, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we get some some early clues here about who this covenant really depends on, right? When we talk about covenant with God, who is doing the acting here? It's God. He says I will, I will, I will, and I'll see to it that you will have these things and be this person, that I will bless the world through your family. Um, We can see kind of another idea of covenant, right? We see that, an agreement that God has made, essentially binding himself to Abraham in marriage, right? Uh, Just a few weeks ago, we got to celebrate the marriage of uh, Kelly and Rob, uh, my wife, my sister-in-law, and now brother-in-law. And what they did when they came together was that they made a series of vows outlining essentially what the agreement is, the contract, if you will, right, for better or for worse, until death do us part. And then they both made vows in front of people saying, I will uphold my end of this contract, right? They're essentially promising that I'm going to stay in relationship with you or die trying, right? There's no other options. That's where we're going to be. Now, despairingly, sadly, in our culture, While marriage covenants are an unconditional commitment, they're often broken. It's not so with God's covenants, right? Because God's covenants are based on who He is, not who we are. They're based on His love and His goodness that never changes, it's not wishy-washy. And so they are sure and settled until the end. So now that we have an idea of what covenant is, kind of a promise of relationship, a contractual agreement, and we have an idea of love, which is God's acted out goodness towards sinners that leads to their salvation through Christ, then let's, uh, let's kind of look at how this comes together to make hased happen in real life. Okay? So we're going to take a series of steps here. The first step when we talk about Hased, there's kind of three ways that hased is expressed. The first would be man to man, woman to woman, human to human, right? Um, it implies that uh, we ought to love our neighbor, not just kind of, Warm fuzzies towards our neighbor, but that we would actually, like God in this definition, make their good our good, and do things for their good. Right? That we want to work uh, for them and serve them and love them. So, when a or and Micah six eight emphasizes this, Micah six eight says that God's people are to do justly, to love hasad, love kindness, and to walk humbly with their God. Right? So. It, it, Simple on the surface, right? That's all. That's all you're supposed to do. Um, But what does that mean when it kind of plays out? When a Jewish audience would hear that, they'd say, yeah, this makes sense, right? I'm in the people of Israel. We're God's people. We should all be pretty nice to each other, love each other because God loved us, right? Then Jesus comes along speaking to Jews, and he gives them a parable that radically redefines uh, who we're supposed to love, right? Because we could take from that and say, all right, well, I'm supposed to love the people in the church, and that's good, and we're going to do that then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he says, well, who's your neighbor? Who's in your community? Everybody, right? Who, who should escape the love of Christians from their God? Nobody, right? So that means that God puts you in your neighborhood, on your cul-de-sac, to have barbecues, to share the love of God for the good of your neighbors, right? That means that he puts you in your workplace, albeit maybe a very frustrating and difficult workplace, for the good of the people who you work with, Right? Um, God has, has ordained and made it so that we do that. Now, this is a cool place. When I say this is a cool place, I mean renewal, because and of all the places that I've been, this really gets lived out well here. And it is a joy to watch people love and serve one another. When uh, our sweet baby was born uh, three months and two days ago, for like the first month and a half, we didn't have to worry about food. We didn't have to worry about anything else. Somebody was coming all the time, even when we didn't want them to. They were knocking on the door, hey, we brought you all this food. We want you to have it. We want to care for you, love you. If we need anything, please let us know. We got diapers. We got, I mean, it was crazy. And we're looking forward to kind of paying that forward. as like 11 teen babies are going to be born in the next three months at renewal, right? Um, and, and even in that, uh, there, there are multitudes of ways that small groups have been loving the members of their small groups or who have adopted people around them. Um, we have uh, safe families, families, the rights who have done this and shared love to other men. We have um, the Hancocks who have loved and served the stripes so faithfully. There's just so many beautiful examples of Hased being le- lived out in our church from man to man. So I would say, man, bravo, go and continue with that, right? Um, Another way that this can be uh, lived out, we go from man to man to a man serving his obligations to God, okay? So uh, this includes what we just talked about, right? God calls his people to love his people, and so serving and loving people around you is satisfying an obligation to God, uh, it also is kind of like the psalmist in Psalm 119 who uh, in the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible is essentially saying, God, show me what your word is. Teach me your ways. Let me see where I'm obligated to you and coming up short and I want to live that out. I want to live that out. I want to love your word. I want to love you and live the way that you've called me to live. Right? So we can see in, in these cases that... <coughs> um, our love is fueled by God's love which is bottomless for the believer uh, and for us that means that it's both bottomless for us to experience and to be a conduit of that love to others so both man's obligation to his fellow man and man's obligation to God are very important aspects of hesed or steadfast love, covenant love so try to imagine a believer who doesn't live out chesed it's contradictory it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense Um, A heart that has been changed by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God through Christ's work on the cross, cannot help but to serve and love others. Why? Because God's love was poured out on us first. And it's more than we can hold to ourselves. Um, As the psalmist said elsewhere, his cup runs over. God has been so good and so kind that it overflows. So that is really the most important aspect of Hasid for us, right? Because if we just lived good and moral lives and we had an, a sense of God and we uh, honored that and we were kind to people, that doesn't end well, right? The revelation of Scripture says that just being a kind and moral person does not bring you into a relationship with God, right? It's the way you ought to act, but it's not sufficient for what we need. What we need is God's love for us, okay? So the third and, and most important here is God's love to us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a sentence here. I want you to hear it. <coughs> if you're a note taker, write this down because this is a great takeaway. Okay? Having entered a covenant relationship with his people, God bound himself to act toward them in certain ways, and he is utterly faithful to his self-commitment. I'll read it again. Having entered into a covenant relationship with his people, God bound himself to act toward them in certain ways, and he is utterly faithful to his self-commitment. Okay? So in order to get the significance of that, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created. He made Adam and Eve for relationship, and their job, uh, according to Jim Thompson, who wrote a good book, uh, I recommend that you read it, called A King and His Kingdom. He says their job was to rule the earth, with God, like God, and for God forever, right? That's their job. They're to to be there in relationship perfectly with God, perfectly with one another, and perfectly with the creation that God made for them to rule over. However, that did not last very long, as in Genesis 3 we read of the fall, and through the fall all the things on earth were kind of twisted and distorted and broken, Uh, what follows in the next several chapters of Genesis is just a downward spiral into sin and depravity until God says, no more. We won't have any more of this. Floods the earth. uh, to, To wipe the slate clean and begin again with Noah, we could travel forward just a little bit further and we come back to that Genesis 12 passage where God calls Abram and plants the seeds of what will come to be Uh, the great good that God has for us in Christ. Um, So let's look at Genesis 15, kind of get a a sense for covenant uh, that that puts it a little bit, uh, makes it even a little bit more um, real and a little bit weightier for us. He says, um, and I'm starting here, let's see, in verse 7. He says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Have you ever been there? God has said, hey, I love you. You go, I don't know. How am I supposed to know that you love me? How am I supposed to, uh, I forgive you. How am I supposed to know that you've forgiven, right? You're, not in, you're in good company, right? Um <clears throat> He says to uh, Abram, Abraham, bring me a heifer three years old, give me a cow, bring me a female goat, a goat three years old, and give me a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these and he cut them in half and he laid them each, over ha- each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now this is a, a pretty strange like, what What are you doing here, God? Why is Abram just slicing up stuff and leaving it out in the sun so that the birds are flying down around it, right? Um, well, this is a picture, uh, and then we're getting ready to see what that means, of kind of kinda how you would do the handshake sign on the dotted line in ancient Near Eastern culture, okay? So the, these two people would come to an agreement. They'd cut some animals in half, make a path essentially between them, and then they would walk the path. And it essentially is saying... May it be to me as it is to these animals if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, okay? So Abram and God, uh, Abraham is going to know, this, this is a familiar ceremony, I know what's going on here, uh, but God is getting ready to twist it on him just a little bit, okay? As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain, When the sun had gone down, it was dark, and behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now remember, just a moment ago, I said, typically, the way that we'd sign on the dotted line, and this would generally be in any kind of contract, right? If you do business with anyone, you sit down, both of you are going to sign on the dotted line and say, We both agree to these terms. But here, Abram's left out. God walks the path alone. and He says, this covenant is based on me and me alone. It's not based on your faithfulness, Abram, although you've trusted me and followed and that's counted to you as righteousness, but it's not based on you because you are not sure enough to make this happen. You are not stable enough to bring about the salvation of the world through Christ who will come through your line. You couldn't possibly bear the weight of that, but I, God, I can and I will. So he makes a covenant there that plants the seeds for Christ who is to come. Um, And how do we know that, right? So it's fun to look at the best commentary on the Old Testament that we have available, the New Testament, to kind of get a sense for what's going on there. And Paul illuminates this greatly for us in Galatians 3. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand, beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So I hope any time for the rest of your life that you hear a sermon or you read about God telling Abraham through you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, that you hear the gospel, right? That you hear that the, the good news of Jesus is being promised all the way back then, right? Um, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Okay, So we got to take care here, um, believer especially. Believer, if you are holding on to sin in the, in the light of God's love and the light of God's forgiveness and his covenant love for you, you're under curse. Not that you could escape from the love of God, but you are carrying something which is not meant for you to carry. Uh, God's love has dealt with that. Romans 8, 1 tells us that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So let it go. Trust, believe uh, as God says that it's certain. Believe that it's certain and let it go, right? Uh, So he says, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not by faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Right? So why does God make this covenant with Abraham? Why does he have this covenant love that binds him to his people? Because it flows naturally from his goodness and love to restore the world and to restore the people he created for relationship with himself. Right? So long introduction idea on covenant love. Right? We're going to come to kind of the main text that we're going to do today, Psalm 136. So I invite you to kind of turn there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. And in just a moment, we're going to have a little interactive reading. Okay? So Psalm 136 gives us a, a broad overview of how God acts out of his covenant love. Uh, 26 times the psalmist reminds us that God is acting out his covenant as the chesed of the Lord endures forever. As the covenant love, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. So we're going to read this. We're going to think about it in two ways. So the first way, we're going to look at how God acts out of his covenant love. And in the second way, we're going to look at how we should respond to that covenant love. Okay? So what I want to invite you guys to do is stand with us as we read. I will read... And then where it says, for his steadfast love endures forever, I invite you guys to join in, okay? A little out of the ordinary here, but it's good to get a little church aerobics going. Um, I, am a, I am a fitness guy anyway. <coughs> All right, so, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his love forever. To him alone who does great wonders. For his love forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens. For his love forever. And to him who spread out the earth above the waters. Love to him who made the great lights. the sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, To him who divided the Red Sea in two. Love and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. Love to him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. For his love Sihon, king of the Amorites, For his love and Og, king of Bashan, For his love and gave their land as a heritage, For his love a heritage to Israel, his servant. For his love it is he who remembered us in our low estate. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love forever. Alright, you guys may be seated. Thank you for participating with that. Um, that was my that was my way of getting you guys to memorize Psalm 136, right? Uh, no. If there's one thing that you'll remember now when you leave you will remember that the steadfast love of God endures forever, right? Uh, So we explore here in Psalm 136, in the broadest terms, what uh, God is doing, how he acts, uh, because each line, as we saw, God does all of those things. He acts in all of those ways because of his love, right? So uh, we can see uh, a few different things. One, that he creates the universe and rules it daily through his providence because of his love. Right? God didn't create because he was lonely and bored. He didn't create because he needed a sandbox to play in. He created out of his love so that there would be more to love and appreciate, uh, more to experience his love and love him in return, to worship him uh, for his glory. We see because of his hesed, his love toward Israel... He redeems them out of Egypt. He delivers them from their captors. He kills their enemies. He drives out the kings of of Canaan to deliver them into the promised land. He keeps them in the wilderness. Because of his steadfast love, he gives the law. He gives leaders to the people of Israel. He gives uh, the manna. He gives water in the desert. He gives all these things all throughout the Old Testament and the New and your life this week, today even uh, he does all of these things. He acts and provides and loves um, because of his covenant love. Um, and we see in this also that he carries out, if we look back to Ro- or Genesis 12, that he carries out his promises to Abraham to make them a mighty nation before they're delivered out of Egypt. Uh, and he comes through over and over and over and over again. And we can see throughout the storyline of the whole Bible. That God's covenant love is meant to bring about the ultimate restoration of all things in Christ. That God is working from the beginning to the end of the book to glorify his son and to redeem uh, his children and the world that he created. So when we look at all of that stuff, let's think back to Moses and in Exodus 34 when he sees God and God tells him, hey, I am a God of steadfast love who keeps thousands in my steadfast love. When the psalmist in 145 kind of paraphrases that and says the same thing, that he's good to all and his love extends all over. How should we respond? Just like Moses. We should worship, right? And so (coughs) as we look through Psalm uh, 136, I think there are three steps that we can pull out towards how we worship, okay? Um, The first step, and it is something that we're called to do over and over again throughout the Psalms is remember. The first step is to remember. So if we look just in Psalm 136, we can see multiple movements of God acting and latch on to aspects of God's love through them. So first, he calls to mind the wondrous acts that God did in creating and sustaining all that exists. And from that, we can see that God's love is powerful, right? And this is good news for you, believer, because if God's love is kind of Soft and weak and distant, it can't achieve salvation for you. It can't overcome the great barrier of sin between you and God. God's love is powerful, and that means He can bring the good He means for you to pass. There's nothing that can escape His grasp, nothing can escape His acting, uh, and nothing can separate you from that love. It is powerful. Next, we can see that God is a deliverer, He's present with His people. He's there among them. He hears their cry in the land of Egypt, and he answers and delivers them from that place. He hears their cry in the desert. They're grumbling. They're complaining. But he hears their cry, and he's, he, he uh, provides for them. He's present, gives them manna. Um, <clears throat> he brings them all the way through to the, the promised land. He's with them and with them and with them. When they win battles, taking the promised land, it's because God is present. When they lose, it's because God is not present right? So God is present, his love is present with his chosen people. He acts decisively for their good among them, okay? And then third, we see that God remembers his people and he provides for them. So again, like we said a minute ago, he gives all of the good things that he's given, uh, culminating in his son uh, for his people because he provides. He does what needs to be done uh, to take care of his people. So sometimes, This is kind of difficult to do, right? To remember these things. Some of that may feel a little esoteric. It's like kind of, ah, it's back there. It's in the world of ideas. It's not really that, it's not my daily life, right? I don't live in Egypt. I'm not going through the Red Sea to work every day. And work feels like slavery, building mud bricks with not enough hay, right? So, um, (coughs) you know, sometimes we find ourselves in those kind of circumstances which don't lend themselves initially to worship. We're often in the middle of really difficult problems. We have kids who are not just sick, but inexplicably so, in ways that may affect them forever. We have dads who lose, are in danger of or lose jobs, single income, father, family of five, fear that they'll lose everything, and sometimes they do. Okay? Um, we have relationships with family members that are twisted and broken, perhaps by a history of abuse or neglect. We have relationships with friends in the church who sometimes, even though this is supposed to be the safest place for believers, it can sometimes be the scariest. Uh, Brokenness and brokenness and brokenness. Um, Over and above all of that, we know that God is sovereign and that means that he puts us in these difficult situations. So how do we worship in the middle of all of this? How do we remember And how do we move from remembering that stuff that seems distant and past? And, I mean, Jesus was 2,000 years ago. I know he's a big deal, but what am I going to do today? We hope. We hope. And we hope because our hope is sure. We can remember what God has done in the past as a deliverer and sustainer of his people. We can know that God never changes, and we can know that God is still in the business of delivering and sustaining his people. Our hope is founded upon the God who has promised to keep his people, that he is slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love that endures forever. We can remember that at the end of the day, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. There wasn't supposed to be brokenness in the world. It was supposed to be that Hesed was the law of the land, and that led to shalom, or perfect peace, perfect unity, where all things function as they're supposed to, they all flourish They all worship God as they were intended, and they serve to reflect his glory all over creation. We can hope that God is moving to make that happen again through Christ, Right, that in the end, God wins. Um, But if in the face of the bitterness of life, in the face of all these things, Let's, let's look to someone who, who maybe you can identify with, right? So we'll go to the, the sticky pages in your Bible, something you may not have ever looked at, or at least probably not in a while, and look at Lamentations, right? Lamentations 3, okay? This is some heavy-duty stuff, all right? So if, if you are right now this morning just feeling the weight of life, and maybe you've experienced some recent broken relationship, maybe you're struggling through uh, man, how can I hope? What am I, how am I going to get the energy to go to work tomorrow? Sunday afternoon, I don't even know what to do with myself. Listen, let this sit on your soul. This lamentation is entitled, Great is Your Faithfulness. There's five, essentially, poems lamenting the loss of Jerusalem uh, as God has judged Israel's sin. And he says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath, of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light, and surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation, and he has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. And he has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. And I've become a laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has, made me f- he has filled me with bitterness and he has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And you may find yourself today identifying with that more than you would like. Maybe as a result of, of a breaking marriage around you. Maybe as a result of difficulty with coworkers or friends or family. Um, maybe because just all the circumstances of life just seem to be piling up and there's just no end in sight. But listen, at the end of this list, what the author of Lamentations says. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. And I know that that's heavy. That, that maybe mourning the loss of a, a relationship, mourning the loss of a parent or a friend, um, <clears throat> just sitting under the weight of any, um, of any kind of unimaginable bad news, you get the C word at a doctor's visit. They say, hey, you've got cancer, and it looks bad. That you could go through this whole thing and you, you could feel in your soul the weight that the author of Lamentations felt. But because God is sure, because God is sure, and in the face of this despair, we can hope because we can hope in God's promises. And we can look back to God's pro- uh, promises, his covenant with Abraham, and we can trust him. We can look forward to Romans 8, to a huge, big, fat stack of promises that God always acts in the good of his people. We can, we can remember the covenant and covenant love, that it's based on God who is sure that he never changes. We can look uh, in Romans 8, as Paul teaches the Roman church, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this fully, ex- this fully rests on God. And we can see in James 1 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and that it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so our hope is sure in the face of anything, in the face of death that is coming, even death cannot separate us from the love of God. And this is great news because we can never, no matter how hard we run, no matter how poor the circumstances of life, no matter the sin that other people sin against us, we never escape the covenant love of God. And so let's be honest in this, that it is difficult sometimes to do that by yourself, to remember by yourself that God is good, that he has a covenant promise of love towards you through Christ, if you're a believer. That's why I want to invite you guys to join in with the small groups here at Renewal Church. I know there have been times where my soul has been heavy and weighed down, and I sat down, didn't even want to go sometimes, to small group, sat down with the guys in my group and was reminded of God's faithfulness and love. and that allowed me once again to hope and move forward into the next day. Um, <clears throat> you know, by ourselves, we are often easy to trip up, and a lot of times our joy, our hope in God is, is the first target that Satan will take to lead you away from Christ. And so like the, the weak zebra in the pack that kind of gets left behind and eaten, right? That's what it's like to kind of hang out on your own and try to do this by yourself, right? It is hard to sustain hope in the face of a, a hard world sometimes when you do it on your own, right? So please, I, I mean, I invite you to join our group, join somebody's group, get together with other people, other believers who are gonna remind you so that you will remember God's covenant love to you and we'll encourage you to hope, we'll encourage you, we'll serve you, we'll show you like we talked about before, the Hasid, the covenant love between people in the community of God. Um, Latch onto that, okay? And they will help carry you through uh, as you uh, struggle on. So as we remember God, remember who he is and what he has done, as we hope in his covenant love and his promises to us, Will naturally come full circle around to thank him for who he is. Both Psalm 145, which we've been studying all summer, and Psalm 136 start out uh, similarly. Uh, And there's two kind of at least two ways that we can take this idea of thanking God. One will praise God, and two, we'll proclaim his name. Okay? First, we'll praise him. Psalm 145 starts by saying, I will extol or highly praise you my God and King, and I will bless your name forever and ever, and every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, for his greatness is unsearchable. And Psalm 136 that we just read together says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, and give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever, and give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. And both of those are bookended, Psalm 136 and 145, bookended with the idea of thanking and praising God, right? And when we see that in the Psalms, as a good student of our Bibles, we know that that is an inclusio, right? And the inclusio, the purpose of that is to tell us, what is all this stuff in the middle about, right? That's like putting it in the bold, that's our heading, essentially That says, hey, Psalm 145 is about praising God for who he is. Psalm 136, it's about six is about thanking God for who He is, right? For His love and the way He acts toward us. So practically speaking, excuse me, practically speaking, that means that we when we get to respond to God's word, we hear it taught, we read it, we think about it, we meditate on it, that we should respond joyfully, whether that means in a minute when we get to sing back to God out of the warmth in our hearts towards Him because of His goodness and the hope we have in His love, whether that means as we take communion together to remember the goodness of God and sending Christ for us, Uh, whether you're just driving in your car and sitting by yourself, call to mind these things and hope and praise God um, on your own. Second, first we'll praise Him. Second, we will proclaim Him. So Psalm 145, verse 4, 6, 7, 11, and 12 all talk about telling other people about the wondrous deeds that God has done. Right In just a few weeks, Basically, everyone in the South with every breath is going to be proclaiming something, right? And we all know it's coming. Some of you guys, your hearts just started beating a little bit faster because it's about to be college football season, right? Excited about that, right? I'm not. I hate it. Um, (coughs) And the reason I hate it is because I cannot escape it, right? It, It is everywhere prevalent in our culture. But we love to talk about what we love. So the things that fill our heart, that captivate us, that we remember and hope in, whether we hope that each Saturday our team's going to win or that it'll provide some escape for us to enjoy their t- the time to watch, um, we hope in that, and then we want to tell people that we hope in it, that we hope they win, that we hope they perform well, or if we're bad fans, we hope they lose so the coach gets fired. Right? Um, so <coughs> what I, what I want to encourage you to do And I think will be the natural outpouring of this exercise is that as you worship, and we know that worship is not simply sitting in here and singing and hearing God's word taught, but it is living a life directed singularly towards God. As you worship, as you remember God, as you hope in him, as you thank him, I hope that it will naturally flow off your lips what God has been doing uh, practice in your small groups this week, right? As you come in, tell each other, man, God has been good to me in these ways. Let me proclaim to you the greatness of my God. And that's a good, good T-ball warm-up, coach's pitch, right? There's uh, only people there who will be um, happy to hear how God is working in your life because it gives them hope that he works in theirs and to enjoy the good that he has done for you, right? And then work your way up from there, okay? So as we remember God's covenant love, as we hope in it, as we thank him for it, we have to turn to the highest expression of his steadfast love. The promise that God ultimately made to, uh, the promise that God made to Abraham is ultimately that he would send Christ to redeem the world from the fall. Uh, and we can remember back in Galatians 3, he says, "For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, "Curses everyone who does not abide by all these things, written in the book of the law and do them." And as we come down, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So while we were born under the law and in sin, God took it on himself to make our good his good, to love us so well that he sent his son to die in our space, to take our curse, to exchange our sin, our wretchedness for his righteousness so that we could be his children and enter into covenant relationship with him. And so the first, uh, first week of each month here at Renewal, we celebrate communion together, which is a remembrance of that very uh, action, of that very promise that God has made So this is a deep act of worship. So let's apply our minds first practice run, right? Remember, hope, and thank as we worship. So as we come to the communion table, right, we can look at Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians, and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we come together to take communion, remember uh, Jesus, the true Hasid, which is what we get from Hasid, that he was the one who perfectly lived out the goodness and the love towards neighbor and towards God that was expected. Remember that he exchanged his life for our sin so that we could obtain his righteousness and then hope in him and the finished work of the cross. Be deeply grateful, be thankful towards him as you move towards the communion table, prepare to proclaim Christ's death and resurrection until he comes. Right? Remember the wondrous acts that God has recorded in scripture and the ones that he's done in saving you if you're a believer. And be, continue to hope in him and in the future he has promised and be profoundly grateful for all of it as you take the Lord's Supper and worship God for his covenant love. That has made this beautiful image possible and so as we celebrate communion together as jesus said uh, he broke the bread for his disciples (coughs) in the uh, the upper room and we want to welcome and invite all who are believers living in repentance to come uh, to celebrate communion to remember christ to proclaim his death until he comes Uh, this table is only for believers who are repentant so after a period of reflection, uh, of prayer, Um, I'll invite you, uh, come as families, come as small groups, come as friends, um, and celebrate and remember and worship God who has saved us. Let's pray together. Father God, as we uh, just enjoy the love that you have promised us, your covenant, Love your steadfast love, your said And as we remember that it endures forever and that in Christ uh, we get to experience it personally, uh, Lord, I pray that you would move our hearts, that they would soar to hope in you, to sure hope in the promises that you've given and that we would be moved to gratitude and that that gratitude, that love for you that stems from your love for us would propel us into the world to proclaim your life and your death and your resurrection until you return. It's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen.